In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me, all the way from across the pond, because he can, he is Mr. Parascience himself, Steve Parsons. Good afternoon, Ron. How are you? Is Is it afternoon? I thought it was evening there. Oh, wait, I'm just being courteous because it's afternoon where you are. Remember, you're, you're speaking forwards in time. I know, I, I can't get that. You know, I, don't, I don't know where I am now anymore. You sound tireder than I do. So if, if voice is energy and energy travels, and so if I am speaking in the past or the future, then could I speak in the past and the future again? Oh, wait a minute. Well, that would, no, that wouldn't work. Whatever. Well, we have a time travel expert who, who could answer that question. We do? We do. Okay. And so why don't you introduce our time travel expert? Is it Dr. Who? Uh, no, it's... Um, I'm really, really, really pleased that Cal's stuck in traffic tonight because... Uh, I don't doubt it. We're joined tonight by the, the real brains behind Parascience, the other co-founder and Winsper, and I think the subject is going to be time time slips. Good evening, no Anne. Way. You know, I hate well, it good morning, so Anne. much when you build me up <laughs> to be the huge, great expert and the sidekick of Doctor Who. Everybody's terrified of you. Really? There's a difference between being terrified and being an expert, though. I'm very good at terrifying people. You never met me, evidently. <laughs> And you've never met me. Ah, uh, yes, that is true. I, I smell a challenge. <laughs> Ian, welcome to the show, and you are the co founder of Parascience, which your website is, I believe, parascience.com, is it? Or is it one of those .org.uk? Yeah, I know it was some kind of weird one. Anyway, welcome to the show, and... You know, we've had Steve on uh, way too much. I mean, uh, um, we've had Steve on quite a bit, and, and everybody knows that he is Mr. Parascience, but a lot of people really aren't sure what Parascience is, the organization Parascience. I mean, is it a ghost hunting club? Is it an academic uh, club? Is it What is it? 
I suppose it's a bit of both. Uh, Parascience was set up by Steve and myself a number of years ago because we were very frustrated. We joined a ghost hunting group and we couldn't believe the things that were going on. They just weren't investigating things to the standard that we wanted to. Uh, so we formed a group to look at things the way we wanted to. We do ghost investigations. We have branched out into the academic side of things. We do actual field investigations. Um, we do our experiments trying to replicate things in proper field in a proper field manner rather than doing everything in the laboratory where you're taking everything out of the conditions where they've happened in the first place. So we are academics but we started off as ghost hunters and we still are ghost hunters so we like to think we have the experience of both sides. We're not strictly academics and we're not just sitting in the field waving EMF, EMF meters round not having a clue what we're doing. We like to think we cover all, all bases really. And, and uh, you, I mean, how did you and Steve come up with this idea for parascience? Is it, I mean, just sitting around with a cup of tea or, or mushy peas as Cal drinks? I don't know, whatever you guys drink over there. Mushy peas. <laughs> Mind <me>. boggles. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, we, we used to drink an awful lot of espresso to keep ourselves awake. We used to sit down and discuss how we thought we could do things. We looked at the research, we looked at scientific journals, we had our own areas of expertise. Steve obviously has all the measurement side, he is trained in that side of things. Um, I had the interest in psychology, I went out and got a psychology degree. We just looked at how we could bring other areas into the field. We like to, I hate to use the expression because I hate management speak with a passion, we like to look outside the box, what can we bring into the field that people yeah, haven't looked at too. before. You know, you can't just, and how are we actually applying these things? There's no point just looking at everything in a scattergun approach. You have to have reasons why you're looking at certain phenomena. There's no point going into somewhere, taking every bit of kit you've got out of the box and throwing it at it. What is the phenomena that's been reported? What are you going to look at? Why are you looking at it? Sometimes it's not even worth getting the piece of kit out. You have to sit down and think about these things. And we sat down, decided how we wanted to investigate things, the best way we wanted to do it. And as Steve always says, parascience is a benign dictatorship. Things happen the way we say they're going to. There is, people can put forward suggestions, but it's our group and things happen the way we say they happen. There's no committees, we are the committee, and it's worked, and it's kept us going, and it's given us a reputation, a good reputation. Yeah, but I mean, I know with the, the New England Ghost Project, which is my group, that uh, we do things my way, of course. <laughs> but uh, it, I always consider it that, that there are no experts in the field, and that there's only people with more experience. And we're, the feel is always changing because, and be honest, we really don't know what we're dealing with. We we don't have the science to really define it, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, do you feel that way, or, or is it? Are you totally set that yours is the only way of doing it, and that's it? 
you cannot possibly say you can be an expert in ghosts because we don't even know what they are but you can have expertise in the techniques you're using to look at it so like steve i would say is the country's leading expert in infrasound at the moment because that's what he's studying that's what he's doing his phd on so he is the expert in that field that doesn't mean that we can say we are ghost experts actually i think we've got an awful lot of knowledge but we can't say i can tell you what a ghost is because i don't think anyone can at the moment but i think you can build up the knowledge in the fields that support how we're looking at these things i think it's also fair to add that we can't say what a ghost is but in a lot of cases we can say what a ghost isn't mm. And and you are, are you saying that in the general, in a, as a generalization or in a specific case by case situation? Steve, I think you have to. Steve, you made the statement. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, you have to take that on a case by case um, basis because you you go in and you're presented with the witness accounts you're presented with uh pieces of information pieces of evidence and based upon your experience based upon your investigation based upon the information that you gather as the investigator then i would expect in in the majority of cases to be able to put forward a plausible reasonable explanation as to what's taking place not some uh, stab in the dark that, that perhaps a, a parapsychologist might offer as it's, oh, well, it's, um, it's all in the head, it's all in the mind, it's a hallucination, without them ever examining the case. Because when, when we're called upon to do an investigation, it is extremely thorough. We, we do uh, and takes care of examining the psychology, and not just the psychology of the witnesses, but the psychology of the investigation team as well. Um, I take care of dealing with the the physical measurements that might be needed and examining the physical hard evidence that might be needed. And so we do, uh, I would expect, in almost every case, to be able to offer forward um, good, reasonable, sound explanations. I think there's a danger nowadays, because it's been bandied about so often that people say, oh, nobody's an expert in the paranormal, that people are starting to use it as an excuse for not having expertise in any area of any of the techniques they're using to investigate the paranormal. And I think that's getting quite dangerous. You need to have expertise in the techniques you're using, even if you can't say you're an expert in the paranormal, whatever that means. Right. Well, I, 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 I agree with you on, on that in that you're, you may be an expert, for instance, if Steve is an expert in infrastructure, he can use that, uh, apply that to whatever case it is, but it doesn't make, like you said, it doesn't make him a ghost. Of it. Yeah, a lot of people say, okay, we're just no experts, but, um, and I, I still think they're on because we really don't can't define it even. We can't even define what, I mean, we can say a, a ghost is a spirit, but what the hell is a spirit? And, and, and even Cal and I had this, this big debate last week where, where a medium says, oh, there's negative energy in here, is there anything? So we banter the word energy and throw it out there, but I mean, we really aren't defining these things that, that we, perhaps they're, they're non-defiable. 
we can we can define it by the boundaries um, in terms of the energies that we can measure and the forces that we can measure and the changes within the environment that we can measure and the known psychological, physiological and physical effects that we can measure. So we can see the boundaries of um, the paranormal. What we can't see are beyond those boundaries because as yet we're still pushing that boundary. We're squashing it in. Remember only 50 years ago, people were still talking about the ether people were still talking uh you know in quite archaic terms about what what we understand today and physics and science have moved our understanding forward in many areas people always use quantum science uh, quantum physics and quantum mechanics here Um, but we are pushing the boundaries of what we understand ever further forward and so in effect we're zoning in on those smaller areas now where our knowledge is deficient so the paranormal might still be eluding us, but we're getting ever closer to it by understanding uh, and extending our, our range of measurements, both physical and psychological. Mm-hmm. I see. So what is, what is your goal as for the group Parascience? Is it, what is the ultimate goal that you intend to achieve? Um. Wow. I hear crickets. I hear crickets. I think we've reached it. I honestly think we've attained the goal that we set out to attain, and that's a goal that has to be sustained, and that is to do the very best that we can to the very best of our ability and develop new techniques as and when they come along to stay fully conversant with everybody else's research Um and the you know all the new techniques that are being presented when when you've you've often heard me talking about the k2 and ridiculing people that, that talk to the flashing lights on the k2 you Steve? i don't that don't isn't based, that. what 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 isn't generally known is that before that we reached that stage we actually went out and acquired two k2s and spent an extended period of time finding out whether the claims that were being made were valid this wasn't just that, well, it just sounds wacky. This was actually, we wouldn't dismiss something that was, that was wacky, the same as with orbs. And, and this is how we work within parascience. It, 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 it would be wrong to dismiss something without doing proper, a detailed study of it. Okay. Now, your group, is it a closed group or is it open group? I mean, can, uh, do you need an invitation to join or, or how is your membership, how do you include membership in your group? I'm waiting for Anne to do some answers. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got to answer it. Shit <laughs> person. Uh, membership is... I, it's a very it's a very esoteric thing membership um we we always invite um and there are no set criteria perhaps only one and that is that somebody impresses us with the genuine um interest in discovering more about ghosts and that's as far as i'm concerned i think that's been our only real uh, condition of membership um but it's always been by invitation people we we meet along the way um, or people we 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 uh, get in touch with or get in touch with us. Eventually, 
you know, we, we realise that they would be an asset to the team in, in some way and we invite them. But the membership has only ever always remained small, uh, never exceeded 20 and currently is around about 15 Ish. Yeah, that's a, that's a good size still. It's still a, you know, a decent sized group. And when when you do an investigation, do all fifteen of you go at the same time, or or is it depending on the location, or depending on your goals? Well, in actual fact, um, my preferred method because I'm the field uh, half of of the team uh, predominantly, although Anne does uh, and can more than more than capably run an investigation. Um, I prefer to take the smallest number possible because the smaller the number of people that you have, uh, the, the, fewer, it, the, yeah, the fewer instances of uh, people blundering around that you've got. But you do have to allow for sort of safety. You've got to have people in pairs because obviously if somebody has an experience or has uh, something take place, you want somebody with them so that you've got a second, a second set of eyes and ears. Um, so you, you balance all that, but generally, um, the, as few as po- as few as I can hopefully get away with. So, I mean, when you go on an investigation, if it's if it, do you like call in specific people because of what is supposed to be there? For instance, the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just talking off the top of my head now, but for instance, say uh, it's a, a castle uh, that has a long history. Do you call someone in who has more uh, historical uh, significance than someone else, for instance, more historian that might do the research on the, be able to handle the research on it, or is it, would you call in, for instance, uh, if it was a Scottish castle and you had a Scottish memory team, would you bring that particular person in because of that? Uh, I'm trying to get the feel of how you chose your members for each particular investigation. Uh, generally, at the, at the initial um, outset of, it, of an investigation, the, the things that are uh, uh, highest um, are the needs of the client. Um, it, does it involve uh, female? Does it involve children? What type of location? What type of okay. witnesses are we dealing with? So that that would that would strongly bias the the nature of of the the um, the gender and the type of person that was selected. Um, beyond that, um, yes, some selections are made on the basis of who would be. Uh, most advantageous but actually a lot of it is done in collaboration with Anne because Anne has um, almost since we started been maintaining I I, I guess a psychological profile of the teams Um, and we've made some useful discoveries about the team's individual susceptibilities and uh, strengths and so we would we would consult on that and perhaps it's a good point actually to ask Anne about that side of what we do when we we we, we use our own team as guinea pigs all the time. Yeah, if we're putting people into a situation, it's always handy to know beforehand how the people are likely to react in that situation because we've already got the variable of the location and we don't really want the second variable of how the people are going to react. If we know how they tend to react in that kind of situation, then we can take part of one of the variables out, which makes it a bit easier to make sense of anything that might happen. So if I know that if I put person A into a spooky dark castle, 
every time they go in, they're going to start running around screaming that they're seeing ghosts, then I'm not going to put them into scary castles <laughs> because I'm just going to get that reaction off them every time. I might do sometimes, depending on the situation, but I know that they're fairly likely to do that. Whereas if I've got someone who's pretty sensible and I put them in that situation and they start running around screaming and they've never done it before, then that's something a bit more unusual. I mean, obviously, this is only very generalised because there's so many factors when you're putting people into situations. But it just gives you a bit of an overview as to what your team members are like and how they're likely to react. It's the sort of thing that we all pick up on unconsciously anyway when we're friends with people. But um, obviously, because we're not out there all the time every day doing stuff, it's nice to just have the little idea of how people react and how people work together when we are taking them into these unusual situations. Plus we've also spotted uh, certain physical characteristics within people. Uh, I recall um, that uh, you know, susceptibility to uh, uh, one, one member in particular whose ears used to pop fairly frequently. Uh, another who was quite sensitive to smells, and they would, um, you know, they, that that could be a useful or a detrimental asset uh, in terms of an investigation. Because if somebody was always smelling something, um, they, they it might sort of throw the investigation a little bit. But if if it is, you know, uh, a location where others have reported smells and scents and odors, then that might be an asset. And even simple things like headaches. Some people get headaches when there's going to be a thunderstorm. People are reporting headaches. You look at the weather, there's a thunderstorm on the way. might not be that, but it's something that's worth bearing in mind. So there's so many variables to think about when you're in situations like this. And it's always handy to have as much information as you can. We also have one member who always has a migraine immediately before an SPR conference presentation. Yeah, we're that <laughs> 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 You know, so, I mean, when you do it, how much do you rely on, for instance, the witness? I mean, to me, I think probably the witness is, is the most important part of investigation uh, because they're the ones that original that see the haunting of the ghost or whatever it is and that's really what you're b building your your uh, investigation on really because they, they are the first instrument that you use absolutely and this is where I, I am absolutely reliant upon Anne um, and in fact, the whole investigation is reliant upon Anne at this point because when we when we when we're first called to um, investigate a case, um, then obviously our first point of contact is with somebody who has had an experience, and that is outside of my domain of uh, expertise. That comes very much into Anne's area of, of understanding. And, and gives me guidance and, and helps me with the process of understanding the witnesses. Well, when I'm sober, I describe myself as a psychical phenomenologist, but only when I'm sober, because I can't say it when I'm not. Because <laughs> what, what I do, I look at the phenomenology, I look at what people describe has happened to them. Because that's that's all we have to go on to start with, what people say they experienced. That is the core of what these cases are. 
after that we can then start looking at what might be going on but the core of this is what people say they have experienced and we have at first at the first telling we have to take on trust what people say to us and what they say to us has happened is what has happened to them and we can unpick it after that but that first story is what we have to build on Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the things, uh, for instance, I, I teach a class on uh, paranormal CSI now, and it's at a haunted location, so I have my own little lab there, which is kind of neat, and uh, it's through the local college. And when I first did it, I, I uh, the Boston Globe covered the, the whole thing, and this gentleman who used to live there saw it and came in and this is something he kept with him all this time but he had seen some spirits and actually talked they talked to him and it, he was so happy that this was available so he came in and we use him as part of the course because he is a first-hand witness of whatever haunts this particular place so i think the witness is a huge it's an instrument it's a it's another piece of evidence another tool in your kit whatever you want to call it um to help you eventually you know achieve some type of uh findings for what you're doing totally because of course the there might be something external happening, but also it might be something that's not external at all. It might be something that's um, internal to the witness, which doesn't make it any less valid an experience. But you can only find that out by speaking to the witness. So the, the witness is key to the whole thing. Also is, is absolutely key. And again, uh, something that we worked very hard with um, to develop um, and it's, it's primarily again psychology um, these early stages uh, rely, are absolutely reliant on psychology and that is devising a set of questions and also teaching ourselves the correct way to to deliver the questions and to gain information from the witness mm-hmm. you're right because so I mean danger- do you you would absolutely, I mean, research must be part of this as well, correct? Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, even the, the, the discussing the case with the witness is, is part of the research. Right. You, you're obviously talking about finding out what was the history of the building, what was there before it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's, that's, some t- that, that's usually the case. But in some cases, to do that too early can actually be misleading because you end up misdirecting yourself thinking that i mean every ghost that i'm i'm aware of or almost every ghost that i'm aware of a historical uh, with a historical context has a name um and berlin or the gray monk or the blue boy or the green lady and often they have a a a real uh person's name associated with them this was the lady from the past Uh, this was um lady margaret this was lord Bellamia, um, and those when you actually look at the actual you know link between the name and the apparition, there isn't one. This the name is just a, like naming your dog, um, or a medium or a psychic has come along and said, "I'm getting the name um, Annie," 
I'm getting the name. Well, I hear the tune, so we have to take a break. But I do want to comment on that, on, on where these names come from, because uh, I think there may be a logical explanation for this. Anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Cal Cooper's stud double, Mr. Parascience, uh, Steve Parson, and also with us, Mrs. Parascience. Can I say that? No, I can't. We'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. International with New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolick, Mr. Parascience, Steve Parsons, and Ann Winspar from Parascience as well. And we are broadcasting live on TojiNet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. If anybody has a question, they can go into TojiNet chat room or the Pararex chat room, and uh, they can call in at 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869. So I, did you finish your, your speech on uh, where, where the names come from? Uh, pretty much, yeah. It's just basically that the names invariably uh, bear almost no uh, relationship to the actual apparition. You know, I, over here, uh, any any person in a um, medieval-style dress with a rough collar um, that, that people claim to see as an apparition is invariably Anne Boleyn. Um, mm-hmm. Anything that's grey and shadowy with a hood or a hooded, you know, the appearance of a hood, is a monk. Now, what's or interesting is... Or nicking your car. Or nicking your car. Uh, what's, what's, what's actually interesting is um, that in terms of dress styles, they, all of the peasantry wore, you know, hooded attires not dissimilar to, to the robes of a monk. 
Um, and so uh, that might explain why we have so many ghostly monks. So we always have monks have, hanging around, huh? We only have cavaliers. We never have the, the opposing roundhead forces. That's presumably because they both dressed identically. It's interesting, too, that even in a civil war, I mean, we always, if someone sees a gray uniform or a blue uniform, they're, they're assuming that it's either a Confederate or a, a, a Union person, but it, not necessarily because the, the color of the uniforms was definitely different per unit, and then by the end of the war, they were taking whatever they could anyways. Um, but let me go back to that name thing again. And there's a lot of places, uh, especially like you know restaurants or something, where they give the na- they give the, the ghost the name. And you always ask him, well, "What would you? Where'd you get the name?" Now, if it isn't based on a, a, a true person that they know died there, yada yada, um, then they'll say, "Oh, I don't know. We just started calling it." Well, it's a theory. Is that Maybe the ghost wants to be called that. Maybe if you believe in any type of communication, mediumship of some sort, and we all tend to have this ability, if you believe in it, uh, maybe the spirit is actually telling that person sub, uh, subconsciously their name. Well, I can't say it doesn't happen. Um, maybe that's why all, our, all my pets have had unusual names over the years. Um, maybe they just wanted to be called strange names. And you're the psychologist here. I'm, uh, you, know. you may believe that. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> really? Why not? I'm trying to be tactful. We don't, I don't like tact. Tact is no good. <laughs> the, the whole idea is to have, I mean, we, you have to have opposing views. And whatever show I'm going to go on, I'm going to take an opposing view. But I think you're it, stretching the point to something that can't possibly not be proven. Yeah, I but you're also stressing the point that can't be, appro- can't be disproved either. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Ron... That's what I mean. Because it cannot be disproven, therefore it's not really a terribly good argument. Oh. I want to be called the blue boy. No, I want to be the brown lady of Raynham. No, I'm not talking about that. I, I totally understand that that thing. But I mean, for instance, if you go to a restaurant and they, and they say the ghost is George, so basically, and, you're and, saying that any time anything pops into your head, it could be coming from spirit rather than coming from your brain. I would rather it, it, believe that things are coming from my brain than being shoved in there by discarnate spirits. But well, it's not being shoved in there. It, it's that you're being actually <laughs> tapped in. For instance, if you believe in reincarnation, Ian, do you believe in reincarnation? Not really, no. Okay, well, that's not going to help us. Any. After seeing some thoughts <laughs> where marvellous proof was given that wasn't actually that marvellous at all, I've gone off the idea of reincarnation. I, yeah, I, I can just jog You know which talks are mean, yeah. don't you, Steve? I, in an Icelandic accent, I will just yes, say... Yes, indeed. We, found, we, we, found, we went to the farm where he said there was a tractor. Yes. How, many, how many farms in Iceland have we found a tractor? <laughs> wow, that's pretty good proof to me. <laughs> yeah. Our standards are somewhat higher, fortunately. No, I, I totally understand that, but it, it all depends if you believe in what mediumship is. If, if we all have this ability, if it is a part of our brain or a part of our, our being that we're able to communicate with spirits, thoughts, whatever, then, you know, it's not in 
possible or improbable that this could actually, we could be attaining some of these names uh, from spirit or from energy, whatever it is. An enormous leap to say that rather than the thoughts that are going through our brain all the time, picking out a random name, that actually there's a whole area out that we have absolutely no explanation for how it works and that must be coming up with something putting it into our brain by some sort of technique that we have absolutely no idea of how a mechanism to make that happen might yet work and that mm -hmm. is a better explanation than oh i just thought of it in my mind Actually, um, although I'm not the psychologist, from, from direct experience of where uh, names popping into people's heads uh, in those uh -huh. circumstances, I was attending a seance a year or two ago, um, and the, the medium was in communication with a uh, boy from the 17th century, whom he described as about 12 years old, uh, wearing scruffy medieval clothes, had a slight limp, and his name was Craig. Yes. <laughs> well, I got it. <laughs> well, did you know him? Um, no. And I, I'm sure I... Well, I didn't actually bother looking through the history books because I thought it was pretty pointless. Um, <laughs> but what you do find is if you, if you push, or, or, uh, push a medium or, or a sensitive for a name, it's invariably monosyllabic. Um, and in, it falls into quite a narrow range um, you know, sort of commensurate with what they believe the person that they're speaking to is. But occasionally you get these spectacular... Uh, Annie is perhaps one of the most common. If it's a little girl, they're usually Annie. Um, there are one or two, like, you get Elsie's, but Annie is, is uh, one of the most common. Um, but Craig, the medieval vagabond, was one of my favourites. With his sister Kylie. <laughs> <laughs> That must be that must be local humour because it's going nowhere here. Uh, well, Craig is Craig is a very modern name and certainly wasn't around in the 16th century. Like somebody's going to you're watching the message room now. Somebody's going to dig up a it's a biblical name or something. Saint Craig, yeah. the 14th disciple. It, it, it's just that I always I'm always looking for alternative explanations for everything and. It, yeah, some of them are very loose, let's put it that way. Uh, but do we have to dismiss them? Do we, can we really, I mean, we really, once again, it all goes back to we, we don't know anything about what we are dealing with as far as the, the other realm, the other world, the other dimension, whatever it is. Of course we don't, and one of the biggest reasons why we, we don't know much about the spiritual realm is because the spiritual realm itself is very, very unhelpful, and usually extremely contradict, uh, con contradictory. I've got, I've just finished cataloguing some of the books, and I've got about 160 books on spiritualism that go back to the 19th century and up to the present day, and in it are direct accounts from spirit uh, through a, a living medium um, with descriptions of Summerland, uh, the other world, the life beyond, the, the upper levels, the lower levels. Mm -hmm. And there is absolutely no consistency, apart from the fact that the person is dead, 
between any of them. You've got people telling us that they meet Christ, that Christ isn't there, that the spirit world is exactly the same as the real, this real uh, sphere that we live on, but mm-hmm. others telling us it's completely different. Right. Some tell us that, it, you know, give us a hand, guys. You know, if the spirit world is listening, give us a hand. Now, Anne and I are both sounding like we're coming very uh, coming down hard here against mediumship. But, yeah, you seem very cynical. Yeah, that's a good way but, of putting it down. But um, I'm think Anne is is about to tell you the real story. We're actually not. We're actually very, very uh, open to the possibility of mediumship. Um, but where we we both have a problem is that we don't believe you can stand on a stage or in front of a group of people in a haunted building and start churning it out. And do you agree with that? Totally. Um, I think it's very much a spontaneous phenomenon. And as Steve says, I don't for a second believe you can just get up on stage and just at will churn it out. But I have seen things happen spontaneously that have quite impressed me, for want of a better word. So let me ask the $64,000 question is, do you have a medium or quotation marks sensitive on your team no um but that doesn't mean to say that we don't work we haven't worked closely with them in the past and at this point i I would also say that when we're dealing with a a, a medium or a sensitive in in the context of an investigation we we give what they say no more credence than the experiences and the reports of any other team member um but what we do find interesting is that it might only be one sentence that they write down or, or speak to the, you know, the dictaphone that they're carrying out of an absolute, you know, a whole night's worth of, of stuff. You know, some of it is completely, is completely wrong. Some of it, well, you know, it's easy to get from books and from the internet or from your smartphones now. Um, but very occasionally, and it does and has happened, the medium will say something that's seriously challenging. So do you just automatically discount everything that the medium says because she's a medium or he's a medium? Or do you take it as a witness? Uh, do, you, do you handle it in that same situation, the same way? In field, my job is just to to collect all the documentation and is the, the person who processes the information I process this exactly as a witness statement I don't make any judgement about who it's come from if they report feeling something, hearing something being told something in a location I'll mark it down, I'll make a note of it the same as any other witness testimony we certainly wouldn't be led around a building by a medium telling us that um, we should point our cameras here or that if we take a picture now, there'll be an orb in it. Um, you know, we're not, we're not medium-led. A medium is a potential tool that we're not going to ignore. Exactly. But, we're not going to get, but they're just like we are. They're just another human being. They may have an additional ability um, that we don't understand, but we still have to document everything that they say, and that's in field, that's what I do. And then Anne, as I say, processes it. Um, but we have actually done studies using infrasound where we've demo- and, and, and in fact other, other experiments too, where we've demonstrated 
quite conclusively that the medium is human and is as, as fallible as everybody else. So if we put somebody uh, who's psychic inside a room with a, that's got high levels of infrasound, they mm-hmm. will respond uh, to the infrasound the same as everybody else. But their interpretation of what's happening is given in terms of their psychic belief. So uh, in the case um, of the shipyard where we actually did this uh, experiment, the, the medium went round the building and reported areas of high-dense high psychic energy and less dense psychic energy um, okay. it, in areas that corresponded to high and low levels of infrasound. Now, that wasn't challenging his, his uh, abilities uh, or claims of abilities of, of being a medium, but it was... No, that would actually absolutely. determine the, the role of the effect of infrasound on a medium, ship, on a medium. so it's, it's yeah. actually I mean, he was a completely, good experiment. He was, he was completely cool with the idea. He said, you yeah. know, he was the one, he himself said, you know, I'm human like the rest of you, but I will, I will colour my, uh, my, you know, my, my experiences with my, you know, based upon my beliefs. Mm-hmm. But you're actually talking to the wrong person. You should be talking to Anne about this. Anne, jump all over. <laughs> jump all over. Yeah, she can speak. I, I thought she was a tiger. I was waiting for, you know. I bide my time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it, it, what you just said is totally what kind of what you, the impression I was getting earlier from you, and that you do treat mediums with with some type of respect. Uh, you, you you use them for what they are, which is basically a witness or another instrument. I in, when I when I deal with mediums um, in an investigative sense, and indeed on a personal level, um, I, I have to treat them uh, with with the utmost respect because they have quite strongly held beliefs akin to a religious belief, and I don't think it's my place to uh, necessarily um, you know call call them out on it. Um, I can certainly put forward, and in fact, many of the mediums I work I, I work with are quite comfortable with me putting forward an alternative perspective on what might be taking place. But that's done in a non-ridiculing way. Uh, it's simply that's offering one of up. the things that I'm quite proud of is that we can we can state our position, but we can have a sensible, respectful dialogue with people, regardless of whether their beliefs are the same or different from ours. And I get quite cross, and I'm I'm going to say it, and I'll probably get shouted at for it, with the the sceptics who ridicule people who have beliefs, who believe in these psychic abilities, and they give them grief, and they tell them they're talking rubbish, and how can they have these beliefs... And I don't think they're actually going to get anywhere with persuading people to look at a different side of an argument by ridiculing people. You need to have sensible dialogue with people, respect that they have different beliefs, and maybe people can talk, change each other's views, not change each other's views, but you have to have mutual respect. And I think we've always had that. And we've had a good working relationship with people. And we still do. And I would echo Anne's words and say that we've actually learned, I personally have learned a great deal from working alongside mediums. And, you know, as many of the books as I've got 
uh, on psychical research and ghost hunting are matched by books on spiritualism and mediumship because it's important that that I can talk to them and have an understanding of what of you know what their perspective is and what their explanations are and what they're saying to me um, because we're we, you know we're dealing with potentially you know another route to the, toward an explanation and just because it, it you know it looks a bit off the wall and just because you know a professor says that they're mad i'm not going to take that um you know I, I will as Anne said we we get we treat them with due respect and we can have our point of view and they can have theirs right some skeptics seem almost uh religious in their Ooh. disbelief but Anyways, uh, we have to take a short break right now. We have another Beyond Bizarre from my good friend Vala Ventura. So we're going to listen to this, and we'll be right back. You'll listen to Ghost Chronicles International on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and Beyond. Here's Johnny. If you find yourself traveling in the Denver area, you may want to take a delightfully frightful jaunt into the nearby Rocky Mountain National Park. Among the many sights and sounds, spooky and serene, of this beautiful park, you will find one of the most haunted hotels in America, the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park. The Stanley Hotel is most widely known for inspiring Stephen King's horror novel, The Shining. Although the infamous movie starring Jack Nicholson was not filmed here, the Stanley Hotel is said to be home to several ghosts. Rooms 407, 217, 401, and 418 are all reported to be haunted by a variety of spirits. If the Stanley Hotel is fully booked, you can try the nearby Bald Plate Inn, which is reputed to be haunted by its original owner, Ethel Mace. An outspoken prohibitionist in life, Mace's ghost has been known to send cocktails flying off tables. A terrifying tale from Beyond Bazaar, available wherever books are sold. And there we go. And if you can't get into either of those hotels, I can sell you a haunted tent on eBay. Oh, there you go. (laughs) How do we don't know tents don't retain energy like houses and could be haunted as well? I've got, I've got the tent that retained the smell. No, well, I've got that's for sure. I mean, I don't doubt that. Anyways, we are listening. We are speaking with uh, Anne Wins- Winspire. Is it? Insp- am I saying that properly, Ricky? Winspire. Winspire. It's a proper name. Very lovely. <laughs> Anyways, uh, of para- parascience, and my co-host today is Mr. Steve Parsons of parascience. And Steve, I, I do want to mention before I forget, uh, I want to thank you very much for uh, addressing my paranormal study group. Uh, I think it was last month. Uh, it was uh, interesting. Let's put it that way. No, it's my, it, it was. It was. It was. It was fun, and um, it was late. And uh, yeah, yes, it hopefully was. one day, one day we can do it again. Yeah, there you go. So, anyways, one of the things we're doing with that is is we're attempting more uh, remote investigations, which is it's kind of a unique little thing, and and that is uh, where we skypes into a location with no people. Uh, originally, we do have someone that comes on, and then we try to gather up as much information as we can uh, from the location remotely. Uh, and then we have the person who's ever there come on and 
uh, we compare notes, basically what we got to the proposed haunting of the place. So that's last time it was uh, Gettysburg, and it worked out very well. So I'm I'm dying to try that again. Yeah, it's a, it's a quite a new perspective on on doing investigations remotely. That's the whole thing is we don't really know, we don't understand a lot of it. So uh, how we get our information, uh, you, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, and which you guys laughed a little bit about the name thing, but uh, maybe there is energy that's out there somehow and that we're able to tap into this thing and we're able to, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a living energy, um, hopefully it is, but uh Maybe there is. It's maybe just a stagnant energy that we can tap into and, and get impressions from. Well, I think you, I think I think our response is well known. <laughs> and what is that? Hello. Anybody there? <laughs> <laughs> We're both waiting for each other. <laughs> now, now I'm trying to think of something that doesn't involve. Swearing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was well. I mean, to to, to be um, you know to, to 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 sort of try and go a little way towards common ground with one. Um, there are many religions that, that that have this belief in. I think some uh, one term for it is the Akashic record. Um, mm-hmm. Others have discussed this idea of a sort of universal memory. Um, Indeed, some, I even mentioned it myself. It's in a paper interview, I seem to remember. That's right. Um, there, are the, there are others who, who say that the brain is acting more like the core, the, the, the dual-core processor in, in a laptop and that the, the memory, the hard drive, is actually you know, sort of some sort of cosmic consciousness and the word just... You know, merely processing the data that we're getting from this cosmic consciousness. Um, we, we don't know, but I would I would challenge you a little bit with this idea of um, we keep coming back to this idea of uh, you can't be experts in the paranormal, therefore all techniques are valid. Um, but that sort of throws a lifeline to people who are talking to flashing lights on meters and photographing yes, and photographing soap bubbles and trying yes, to play. They're doing meaningful research. Well, it, Anne said rightly at the start of the evening that you can have expertise in doing certain things. And one of the, the things that you can have expertise in is measuring the environment and, and in psychology. And there are pr- certain prescribed ways that are set down to international standards for the correct use and measurement of electromagnetic waves, electromagnetic energy. Uh-huh. Uh, now, if you're not doing it to those prescribed internationally recognised standards, if you are instead getting that tool and putting it on a table and talking to it, then you are seriously misusing the piece of equipment and any information that you're getting... Uh, will just mislead because you are using something way outside its design parameters. If, for example, you wanted to to uh, sail the Atlantic, you wouldn't do it in a Pontiac Firebird. You wouldn't Correct. get very far. If you wanted to have your house rewired, 
the electrics needed sorting out, you were very unlikely to go to somebody who read about how to do it on an internet site and watched a few YouTube videos of other people doing it. You want people who know what they're doing and are doing it to a recognised standard. You will call an electrician or you would get a boat. Obviously, you wouldn't get a boat to rewire your house. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just heard the doorbell, and that means the pizza's here, so it's time to wrap it up. And let me say, just because I bring up a point or a, a subject or whatever it is, doesn't mean it's my personal beliefs. No one knows what my personal beliefs are. But it's my job to try to understand everything. I am the big booter of the paranormal. That's fine, but... In finishing tonight, at the start of the night, when, when, when listening to the, uh, the jingle at the start, it says, you will hear guests and you won't believe, but you can uh -huh. believe when I say. Okay, if you say so. Believe it. Isn't that right, <laughs> <Anne>? <laughs> <laughs> Ian? We, Ian, no, we were speaking with Ian Winsborough of uh, Parascience, and we want to thank you so much for uh, spending time yeah. with us. And... Uh, uh, probably it's, you'll be sticking uh, pens in my picture, but that's all right. Uh, someday we may meet. I never will tell you how you manage to time travel. We'll have to save that for another day. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we, we'll definitely have you back. So, uh, I love being ridiculed, so it's no problem. <laughs> we were being nice. I'm I know you were. That, that's, that was that. I was trying to push every button I knew, and, and I wasn't getting anything. Just silence. <laughs> You you know how reserved the English are. Yeah, Stiff upper yeah, lip yeah. And, you know, we 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 don't get rattled very easily. You know, we it, we let you we let you claim to have won the American War of Independence. There you go. Anyways, I just got a message from Cal Cooper, and he says it's way past your bedtime, Steve. So I guess I have to get rid of you. Yes, it is way past my bedtime. <laughs> and uh, if anybody wanted, uh, you have any events or anything coming up? Either one of you? Uh, Together? Separately? Not, not, not publicly. And have you got anything? We've got the SPR conference. Yes, hopefully. And what uh, is that? But apart, uh, well, each year we try and um, rattle the, the, the corridors of power at the Society for Psychical Research by presenting them with ever more bizarre conference papers. <laughs> we're going go. to gold this year. <laughs> <laughs> we are in fact going, yeah, we're going all out this year, um, but we're not going to reveal all at this stage. Um, but it will be, be worth it if it gets accepted. <laughs> there you go. So it's time to wrap it up, guys. Thank you so much for spending your time you, with Rob. you. Thanks, and uh, Thank you. Good night. God bless. Bye. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. This is Togine.